Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Today is Friday, September 2nd, 2022. Not a lot in the news today that isn't related to either the jobs report, Joe Biden's speech last night, or the departure of my friend, colleague, partner for 14 years, Ala Pundit. Um, he has his post up now at Hot Air, explaining that he's going to be going to the dispatch, which I think is a great move for him, a great move for the dispatch. Um, and I just want to say a couple of words about Ala Pundit, uh, just to kick things off. He's been a great partner. He's been a great friend. And he's been, a, I think, a, a, a very... Um, a, a voice of integrity, I think, is a, a way that I would put this. Now, that doesn't mean that people don't disagree with him, and people obviously very much disagree with him. Um, he's stuck to his guns. Um, but I think that, uh, and and that's, you know, everybody can make their own decisions about where he stands on things, and that's absolutely fine. We're all a little different at Hot Air. I'm different than all a pundit. Uh, jazz is different from me. John's different from jazz. Um, and we're going to, I'll talk a little bit at the end of this, um, at the end of this monologue, a little bit about, give you a hint of where we're going with things as we round into the midterms. Uh, but he's a class act. And I think that final post shows what a class act he really is. And, um, why I think that, um, I'm still going to be reading him, uh, because he's first off, he's my friend. It's, it's, it's been a partnership for 14 years. We're really entering into a, a, a new era at Hot Air with me as managing editor by myself. Um, one person's going to have strategic control, which has never happened before at Hot Air. And so we're gonna, I'm going to be making some changes uh, that may never have happened if it hadn't been for the fact that somebody was going to have to be responsible for what we were doing with the site. And so I think that that's a good move for us, too. Um, but I, I am going to miss all a pundit. I'm going to miss the partnership. And um, hopefully I don't have to miss the friendship because I'm hoping that we remain good friends. I'm sure we will. I mean, it's just the problem is, is that we won't be working with each other on a you know hourly minute to minute basis as we have been uh, for 14 years. And so if you read his post, he talks a little bit about when I first joined Hot Air and how he had some trepidation about that. Uh, <laughs> and I will say this. I didn't know that. And that's that's what kind of a class act he is. He carried himself professionally. Uh, became very friendly and uh, and warmed up to the situation. Never made me feel out of place or uncomfortable at hot air. Um, so just some personal observations. I'm not going to say that I agree with everything they'd put in the post because I don't. But, but he doesn't agree with everything I put in my post either. And it was fine. And, uh, you know, we can be friends and we can debate these things. And we have. And it's been fun. It's been 14 years. It's been great. I'm actually um, going to miss that a lot. Uh, but. The nice thing is, is that he's still going to be writing. I guess he's going to write under his own name. I'm not going to say what that is. That's up to him to reveal. Uh, and that, I'm not even sure that that decision is necessarily final. But um, but if he does, that'll be very interesting. And I think people will realize that, you know, he's not a sock puppet for somebody else that you know. Um, he's a very genuine guy. And, and I think that his uh, genuine uh, nature will still come through. And it will probably enrage some people and it will probably attract some people. Uh, but at any rate, I just wanted to say a few words um, on the departure of Ala Pundit, which is a major, major, major change at Hot Air. And uh, just to let people know, you know, on a personal basis, I'm very sad about it. Uh, I understand it. I think it, in the long run, it's uh, it's going to be beneficial for him and beneficial for everybody. But I'm sad that it, it had to come down to this. And so... Um, make sure if you get a chance, you know, 
say hi to him on on Twitter and you know, give him a shot over at his new digs, The Dispatch. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Stephen Hayes and Jonah Goldberg. I don't agree with them all the time either. But I think that they're honest brokers. Um, I think there were worse places <laughs> that all upon it could have ended up. I have a lot of respect for the dispatch and, and I think that that's going to be a good platform for him. So my, my congratulations to the dispatch for making a wise decision and picking him up as well. So that's the, I mean, that's as far as we need to go with that. Um, he's not, <laughs> he's not dead. He's just going to be writing someplace else. And the nice thing is, is that it's a marketplace and we can all go over there and read him if, when, and how often we want. So, um, so congratulations to all a pundit, um, a fond farewell, a bon voyage. And, uh, I hope he knows that we're all, uh, we're all his friends and we hope that, uh, we can maintain those bonds of friendship. So today's news is either about the jobs report or about Joe Biden's speech last night. And I got a chance to read it because I didn't watch it last night. As it turns out, the um, it was supposed to be a big primetime address, but only CNN and MSNBC carried it live and probably C-SPAN too. I, I don't know about C-SPAN, but even PBS didn't pick it up. They didn't interrupt their normal programming at PBS, apparently, and none of the three majors picked it up either. So this was Joe Biden standing in front of Independence Hall with this weird lighting set up and two Marine Corps guards behind him at the door which is already creating a lot of controversy over why they were using uh, Marines as props for what turned out to be a really corrosive demagogic uh, political speech, campaign speech in front of Independence Hall. And I, mean, I have a lot of thoughts about this because I don't think Joe Biden is entirely wrong about what ails uh, the soul of America, but I also don't think that he's um, the solution to it. In fact, he's part of the problem. In fact, he may be even a worse part of the problem than the people he's trying to single out as the problem. This is a guy who is um, trying to appeal to the soul of America almost one year to the day when he abandoned 14,000 Americans in Afghanistan. And not to mention tens of thousands of our allies who relied on us in Afghanistan while lying to everybody about a sticking around until they got out and B that they, that we would be able to help support the um, Afghan government. So it wouldn't collapse to the Taliban immediately lied about this the entire time. Anybody who has that on their record has absolutely no standing to talk about the soul of America. Anybody who has that on their, on their record really should resign from office in disgrace because that's what that was. It was a disgrace. It didn't have to go that way. You could have pulled, we could have pulled out of Afghanistan while maintaining military support to allow the government there to try to flex at least for a while and try to keep the Taliban at bay. We chose to run. Actually, I'll take that back. Joe Biden chose to run. He's got no business talking about the soul of America after that disgraceful episode. Beyond that, he's trying to set himself up as a defender of the Constitution when he just got done. Uh, declaring that he has the right to borrow hundreds of billions of dollars on his own, not flex it out of other programs that are already in the appropriated federal budget, which is bad enough anyway. I mean, when, when Donald Trump made the argument that he could flex money around that was appropriated for other purposes by Congress, we said, okay, yeah, we want the border wall built, but you know, this sets kind of a bad precedent and we should really be cognizant of this. This isn't even that. This is Joe Biden deciding that he can appropriate funds for whatever it is that he wants to do without congressional uh, without congressional involvement, without congressional authorization. That is a destructive um, precedent to set. 
in terms of the legislative check and balance on the executive, which is a fundamental part of this Constitution. The Constitution explicitly authorizes only the legislature to appropriate funds. The power of the purse is how they control the executive. So the executive, under the Constitution that Joe Biden claims to champion here and claimed to champion last night, only allows the um, executive to spend money in the manner that Congress authorizes. That's how Congress controls this. You know, on top of this, he's talking about, well, you know, MAGA Republicans are are cheering on January 6th and are nihilistic and are looking to uh, attack law enforcement officers. Well, look, I'm not going to defend what happened on January 6th. I really am. I'm I'm not really interested in doing that anyway. Um, I think people here understand my feelings on January 6th. But (laughs) there that was hardly the only time that that happened, even within a one-year period. Prior to that, we had just had riots and insurrections in major cities all across the United States that Joe Biden and Democrats said nothing about, never even challenged the idea of the CHAZ and autonomous zones that were being erected by militants in the streets, uh, trapping, uh, trapping Americans in these little islands, these uh, several block islands in these cities, and uh, declaring that the United States and the, and the state and local authority no longer ran in those autonomous zones and that they were in charge of those autonomous zones. Those were insurrections too. And I didn't hear anything about that in Joe Biden's speech last night. Those all preceded the January 6th uh, riot. And I didn't hear anything about the riot that took place on January 20th, 2017, when uh, progressives and anarchists rampaged through Washington, D.C. in an attempt to disrupt uh, Donald Trump's inauguration, which is just as uh, just as destructive and aimed at the federal government as the January 6th um, riot was. I haven't heard anything from Joe Biden, in fact, about how Democrats styled themselves as the resistance in the immediate aftermath of the 2016 election, they were doing that prior to the Inauguration Day riots. And that is the type of rhetoric that drives those types of actions. You don't hear a word about this from Joe Biden last night. There is, however, <laughs> a problem with um, with uh, American governance, and it is that the presidency has just become too authoritarian. And that's not a problem that started with Joe Biden. It's not a problem that started with Donald Trump. It's not even a problem that started with Joe, with Barack, Barack Obama, although all three of these guys have tried to benefit from that. The reason why is because we have gotten away from the constitutional structure of the federal government. Congress keeps ceding its own moral, political, and legal authority to the president because they don't want to have to take tough votes and they don't want to have to take responsibility for what gets done. They can't even pass a budget under normal order anymore in Congress. It's entirely dysfunctional. And a lot of the reason for that is because Congress ceded a lot of its authority to executive branch agencies over which they have almost exercise. They have they have oversight, but they exercise very little oversight over these agencies and they allow these agencies to expand their own jurisdiction. I mean, the Supreme Court finally rebuked the EPA in West Virginia, the EPA earlier this year in in, uh, late June. I believe that that I think that was one of the last uh, decisions that came down in this term. But that's a rare, that's a rare limitation on an extra statutory 
claim of jurisdiction in the modern age. And hopefully it's hopefully it's going to set a trend. But that's the problem is that Congress has basically abdicated its uh, its authority and its enthusiasm for checking an imperial presidency. And that's what we've got. And that's the reason why when things, when people don't get what they want, they don't go to Congress anymore. They go out into the streets. Why? Because they're hoping to just simply take over government in elections. I mean, most everybody, almost everybody here is talking about in elections uh, so that they have single party control so they can get what they want done. And they're not willing to compromise because Congress isn't effective at it. (laughs) They don't do it well anymore. If we want to restore, if we want to solve the problems that Joe Biden talked about last night, we need to restore constitutional order. Anyway, I go on about this at great length in my VIP post today. I might actually put that back out in the clear uh, late tonight just so that other people can see it. I I mean, I wrote that for our VIP members and and VIP gold members, but I've had a few of them who've said you really need to make this public um, and because they'd like to share it. So we may make that public sort of a rare thing for VIP. Uh, So stay tuned for that. Uh, on the jobs report, look, I mean, the jobs report wasn't was pretty good, right? Three hundred fifteen thousand jobs added. I thought that's that came in a little higher than I expected it to be. Um, one notable thing was that the July report had a pretty sharp revision downward, so we didn't actually hit the February twenty twenty employment level in July. We did hit it now. We're about two hundred forty thousand jobs above February twenty twenty. But as I have been pointing out, sometimes with overstated population growth numbers, and I've corrected that this month. Um, using the Census Census Bureau's actual monthly estimates of population growth, uh, we're still about 700,000 jobs short of a full recovery. Now, that's not bad. We lost 22 million, right? <laughs> so it's not bad. We're getting there. We're, we're crawling up to it, and we're actually getting there a little faster than I thought we would. But we're not there yet. So when people say, well, we fully recovered from that, no, we haven't, because we're not in February 2020. We have a dynamic population and a dynamic economy, and it has to keep up. So I have some data on that. And again, the numbers aren't bad, but it does suggest, especially since wage growth is starting to slow while inflation is still going up, does indicate that maybe the job market is starting to um, is starting to lose momentum. It hasn't yet, but it does indicate that maybe you we're going to see that in the next month or two, and that may be an issue for Joe Biden when he tries to argue that his his economy is the greatest, um, which he's been doing anyway. Um, So those are the three things that I wanted to get to today. I will say this, by the time I do the next uh, podcast, which will be Tuesday's podcast, um, we will, I will already have announced some changes here, but we're going to add three more contributors, one full-time, two part-time contributors. um, uh, And we're going to be revamping VIP to make it um, a lot more uh, value added, uh, and I think you're going to you're going to see some new voices in there. You're going to see some new forms in there, and I'm really excited about some of the new content that we're going to be putting up at Hot Air. Uh, I, we are not going to we're, we're still going to be a diverse um, uh, set of viewpoints on modern conservatism, but we are going to focus more on modern conservatism, and you'll see that reflected in the headlines. You probably start seeing it this weekend. Uh, because, of course, with all upon it gone, and again, one more time, class act, he filled up all the headlines for today so that I didn't have to do that and I could deal with other things in the transition. So, again, really nice, really class act. And uh, I will start over. T- I'll start doing them tomorrow. And you'll see some you'll see some nuanced changes, I think, there. We're going to expand it. First off, we're just going to have more headlines in that marquee 
But I think you're going to see us trying to focus a little bit more on conservative commentary rather than just mainstream news articles. And, um, and that's part of a reorientation back towards the conservative commentary at the, the old blogosphere, um, and trying to, trying to boost the movement going into the midterms and especially going into 2024. So some exciting new voices. That's something you can keep an eye out for. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, want to thank you all for, um, watching this today. And by the way, I've got an interview today with Rob McNeely. Uh, who's at tusk.network, T-U-S-C.network, which is a cryptocurrency platform. Um, I, you know, I'm not really well versed on cryptocurrency, so I invited Rob McNeely to give me a, a, a primer on this, a, a brief education. And I think it was a fascinating conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So stay tuned for that. And then stay tuned for how you can subscribe to, um, to this podcast, as well as our VIP and VIP gold programs. Have yourselves a great weekend, folks. Have yourselves a great Labor Day. And don't miss a minute of the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Have you got questions about cryptocurrency? I have tons of questions about cryptocurrency. I may not be smart enough to figure it out on my own, so I'm going to talk to somebody who knows what he's talking about. Rob McNeely of Tusk Network, T-U-S-C dot network, joins us today to answer, well, my questions anyway, about... <laughs> about cryptocurrency and maybe go through some of the um, pluses, minuses and what it can do and what blockchain can do because blockchain's about more than just cryptocurrency. Rob, great to talk to you. Ed, thank you so much for having me on today. I'm actually real excited to uh, talk to you and your audience. And if I can shed some light on what all this uh, crazy technology is about, I'd uh, uh, happy to do that. So, I mean, I'm right uh, in, in saying that cryptocurrency is one use of blockchain, probably the most extensive use of blockchain, but blockchain has other uses too, right? Uh, absolutely. So um, uh, you've probably heard a little bit of this new acronym that's out there uh, called NFT. Oh, yeah. Um, that That is short for non-fungible tokens. Um, and all an NFT is, it's a different type of token that runs on a blockchain. Think of a blockchain as a really slow database. And it just stores information and blockchains store information in a way that's a little different than a database in that it's spread across. Spread across the planet. And so lots of different people have servers that agree on transactions that go around a blockchain. Um, and, and, and that's really the most simplistic way that I can strive a blockchain. Um, and so you can run money across that blockchain and you don't have middlemen involved with that. Um, meaning, and the rules on how those transactions are confirmed and validated are done via open source software and they're not easily changed. And, and, and that's better than government creating monetary policy because they can just, you know, let's just say print and borrow and spend as much money as they want. On the oh, come on, Rob, I mean, that, ne that never happens. Never. Um, <laughs> But and so the idea with cryptocurrency is that um, it's the rules on how that money or crypto money is governed are determined by the people that hold that money. And the way it's done is usually pretty difficult. And three, it's all transparent. So everybody knows what the rules are so they can have good expectations into the future. Whereas if I said to you, Ed, how much money is going to be printed of U.S. dollars in the next year? You have no idea. True enough. They can do it. And so crypto, 
so crypto true these days too rob (laughs) exactly yeah Um, so crypto is a little different so then the other use is like non-fungible tokens and so um you're seeing right now all these pictures of cartoon apes and all these little digital art called nfts and and what that means is that if you possess the cryptographic keys to move a token around that's connected to that art it's provable ownership and I think that's going to be a real important thing. So this could apply to any, you know, digital media. Like um, you used to see about 10 years ago, they were talking about digital rights management um, yep. making. So you couldn't like copy a CD, right? Or right. A DVD or Blu-ray or what have you. Well, with an NFT and the cryptographic token that keys that lock into that token or give you access to that token, it is actually one of the best digital rights management systems on the planet. So you now can protect and um, basically prove digital ownership of an asset. I think in the future, this technology will be pretty useful um, in terms of how businesses are run, foundations are run. Sure. Um, And I think you can also do things like um, you could IPO through crypto a barbershop so what you can do with and and this the laws aren't there yet but the technology allows for this that you could use nfts and say hey i want to start a family barbershop in my community and but i don't have the let's just say fifty thousand dollars to rent the building buy the equipment get it all set up and decorate and what have you and what you could do is you could sell nfts that represent a fractional ownership in that business and then profits from the business could be automatically distributed to the holders of the NFT. So if you have that NFT in your wallet, you're a part owner. And you could automatically distribute the profit from that business to the owners that hold those NFTs. But in addition, um, you could say holders of that NFT are also entitled full to free haircuts for life. Now, you don't have to worry about that. No, I don't but- have to worry about that one. But <laughs> Maybe beard trims. But, beard trims would be good, though. Beard trims. <laughs> but now they could walk in, show their wallet that holds that digital NFT, and they say, oh, you're good to go. Free care for, for you. And and that cuts out a lot of friction, right? And it allows for micro-businesses to have people like fundraise for them. So you've seen this right now with um, some of these third-world loan type of deal like Kiva, where yeah. you can donate to help invest, quote-unquote, in a business in a third-world country. Um, well, NFTs could allow you to do that to any business, small, medium size. Let's just say you want to start a machine shop or want to start something. NFTs can allow for that. And I believe that will happen. I don't have a time frame. I don't have crystal ball. But that technology frees up so much capital to be used not only for rich people and, and people that have access to venture capitalists, which is typically what's happened out there. This allows that everyday mom and pops could use NFTs for fundraising purposes. Um, you could distribute, and, and this is happening already um, early on. We're early right now, but people are, musicians are now selling MP3s via M- NFTs of new albums. And and though I don't know where the laws are on this yet, but some of those artists are distributing profits from the sale of those NFTs to the holders of the NFTs. And so this is kind of interesting right now. So this takes out, this cuts out a lot of middlemen. Like in that case, it might be music distributors, music labels, things like that. And so right. NFTs are a thing. Cryptocurrency are a thing. And they're going to, they're not going away. And their use over the next 5, 10, 15 years, I think, will be fundamentally, it will fundamentally change how we do business around the world, 
how we do banking, how we do insurance, and how we do fundraising, and how we determine digital ownership of things. So I think that's all the things that these things will probably do. Um, And that's what gets me really excited about being in this space, even though, I, like I said, I think we're, I think if you look at cryptocurrency and blockchain and NFTs, I think we're probably, we're at the AOL stage in like the mid 90s. You're probably (laughs) very simply like, I remember that, yeah. you're just a little older than me, but I, I remember those days myself. I was a, a grown up back then. I, I got gray hair too. And and so that's where we are. And so the question is, do you want to wait till Hotmail comes out or do you want to get an AOL email address now? Well, that's a good question. That's actually a good question. Let me let me throw a couple of devil's advocate questions at you, because I know that people are going to have questions about this. So sure. if, if I'm looking at cryptocurrency, when I'm looking at, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum or any other types of crypto, um, one looks at that and says, well, look, if I'm investing in actual, well, I don't want to say actual currency, that's not, in a sovereign currency. I think that's a better way of putting it. The US dollar, yeah. the British pound, sovereign currencies. You you have a couple things that you know that you've got going for you. You've got the sovereign weight of the state that you're dealing with that's going to stand behind that currency. In most cases, I mean, some... Zimbabwe, maybe not so much, but the US, the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's another one. Venezuela. Yeah. Maybe not so much. If you're investing in those things, that's like, you know, junk bond. That's the junk bond of of currency investments and you get what you deserve. But I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're a serious investor or if you're dealing in those currencies, that's part of the, that's part of the value of dealing with those. So what is the inherent value? of a crypto a cryptocurrency uh one that people who aren't familiar with it can understand to to understand that this isn't just some sort of made up space that this that there's an inherent value to this okay so a lot of people come and don't really think about this is where does money get its value right that's i right. think kind of what you're talking about in part, yes. It used, it used to be that sovereign money is like money that government created used to be backed by gold standard, like a typically a gold standard or a silver standard. The United States went off its gold standard in the 70s. And and what that meant and, and why this is affecting you and me right now is that the reason why we don't ever trust, why you shouldn't trust government currencies long term is politicians can't help themselves when they have the power to print more money because they dilute the value of money. And we see that in the form of inflation. And so what happens is every time government borrows, we call it borrowing, but really what they're doing is they're increasing the amount of money out there and then they're spending it. But what that happens is, is the money that you have in your bank or your wallet, the value of it gets diluted a little bit every time they do that. And so what happens is prices go up because our money doesn't buy as much. It doesn't go as far. And so with We've seen this is that in throughout history, every government currency or fiat currency that isn't backed by a standard or an, and what we mean by that, it just all, all a precious metal standard, for instance, does all that does is limit the power for government to dilute the value. Now, what ends up happening is all government money over time goes to zero. History shows us this, is that every every fiat currency throughout history at some point goes to zero. And what and how it usually does that is toward the end, politicians can't help themselves. They print more and more and more, and they print more and more and more really, really fast. And then it just makes the money kind of worthless, and then people lose confidence in it, and then it kind of tanks. And so 
a lot of us would say that the U.S. dollar is probably going, th- we're in the early stages of that potential currency collapse now. Um, but lots of, but we've seen even in our lifetime, we just talked about Zimbabwe and, and in the last 30 years, Zimbabwe, Argentina, and Venezuela's currencies have all gone belly up. Right. And so this is not some kind of strange theoretical phenomenon. Um, you go back a little further in history, the late 30s with the, the Deutsche Mark, obviously. Um, and, and so and this just keeps happening. And so politicians haven't changed because politicians get power from printing or spending money. So the more money they can tax or print, the more power your independent politician actually has. And so cryptocurrency is a hedge against that because you can't just create more cryptocurrency out of nothing because the rules of how that gov- that coin or token, depending on which one, and by the way, there's thousands of them and they're all a little different, right? Because every because if you create a currency, you can create your own rules around that and how that supply expands. Um, there's software laws that cover it. Whereas um, when it comes to government politicians expanding the money supply by just creating more money on nothing, there's no limit to that. All they can do is wave a little magic wand, sign a piece of paper, and boom, there's more money printed by right. the Treasury. And then the Fed buys it and, or you know, what have you. Um, and so cryptocurrency actually has technical limits that limits or prevents the ability for the money supply to either grow or they grows in a very controlled rate. And you know what that rate is. And so it's predictable. Um, uh, and so whereas money supplies from governments are not predictable because politicians don't have any limits. Okay. I, and I, I mean, I get that. I totally get that. So, um, again, getting back to the blockchain, um, let's talk a little bit about the security of this. Now we'll start off by saying that there's plenty of scams and all sorts of different things, including in regular, you know, uh, sovereign currencies too. So. There have been some in cryptocurrency. There's been some scandals and some of this type of stuff. This is uh, this is not a this is not and I and I'm framing it this way because I I want to make sure that I'm not implying to you that I think that this completely delegitimizes crypto because like I said anything that you can build a scam on will a scam will be built on it right so yes. so there have been some of these scandals in crypto um, there was one in Canada I can't remember the name of the exchange now. There was, a, I think, a Netflix um, documentary on it. It was actually a pretty yeah. good documentary. But uh, Cotton or something was the name, Gerald Cotton, I think. I think that's like right. That. Yeah. And I think yeah. they're not even sure if he's dead or alive at the moment, if I if I remember correctly from this. But I mean, you know, Bitcoin obviously has been pretty solid. There, you know, there are others that are solid. But how do people how do people enter a, a cryptocurrency market and know how you know where to put your trust and what are the factors in putting your trust into things that you know maybe maybe somewhat risky for people who are really new to this i mean and are maybe scaring people out of it so and and you're absolutely right and there's tons of fraud tons of scams tons of people out there trying to uh, take crypto from unsuspecting people usually they prey on people that are really trying to get rich quick overnight and they're pretty greedy. And when people get that kind of, we call it FOMO or fear of missing out, yep. they're blinded by common, their common sense goes out the window. And so at its crux, if you, if you, when you think of scams, most of the scams around crypto are not because 
someone hacked into, you know, a blockchain or stole them out of your wallet. That's not typically what's happening. Most of the crypto scam are from where you can you give your coins over to someone else voluntarily that promises you something and then they have they now have physical control of your digital coins because they now control them. And when someone else controls the access to your coins, that's where the the scam vectors typically are. So the and, scheme, and that's what happened with Gerald Cotton. I mean, it wasn't the cryptocurrency yes. that was the issue. It was, was the ex- exchange that was he the was an the, exchange. Yes. So there there are lots of exchange scams where the scam either gets hacked into oblivion or gets goes out of business because someone took all the currency they they owned and just walked away. Um, many of them are abroad. Um, some abroad or foreign uh, cryptocurrency exchanges are legit. Some are not. And this is a tough one, even for a project like Tusk. Um, but we've even seen some dodgy stuff with some of the big American exchanges. Becoming an American crypto exchange is extremely difficult. because And getting listed on an American exchange is extremely difficult because of the rules and the amount of money they want to charge you. So some crypto exchanges in the United States will literally charge you millions and millions of dollars to just to list your token or coin on their exchange um, besides lots of other hoops. So so typically what we always say in crypto, and you if you start looking at this, you'll hear the the ter- the little phrase, not your keys, not your coins. And what that means is if you don't have the crypto key to access your coins, you are at a disadvantage. So what we always tell people that you should never leave your crypto on an exchange, that if you're going to go to an exchange and buy crypto, remove it to a wallet that you control the key to every time. This is good safety protocols. Um, a lot of people that get scammed, just put, they, they think it's like a Schwab or Fidelity, and they're like, I'll just leave it on that exchange. Um, and I would say that's a really bad thing. The difference between um, with crypto is that even though it's a digital thing, if you when you have control over it, you have control over it. Like if someone else has control of your gets your key and has control over, they physically can take it away from your possession. And there's no way on a typically on a blockchain to give it back to you. And and this is where it starts becoming crypto is unforgiving right now. Um, and, and, and that's tough, right? And a lot of people that scares them off. But when you understand basically what's happening with a lot of these scammers is that you're like, okay, these people turned it over to, for instance, Celsius is like, basically was a, not a decentralized entity, but a, a crypto bank for lack of a better word. And several of these crypto banks have done some dodgy stuff. So what you do is you literally deposit your coins at their crypto bank. And then they make crazy investments and then they promise you like a rate of return. Um, and, and and there's a lot of red flags just with that concept. So Celsius right. is the one that went belly up recently, right? Everybody's talking about this. I know I know someone that lost thirty thousand dollars on this. And and we've all looked at her and I'm like, Are you crazy? You know better than be, you know, because there were so many red flags with this group Celsius. Um, because usually when someone's promising you a rate of return. That's a huge red flag in and of itself. Right. right? Yes. Um, and, and with any investment, it's not even crypto. If someone promises a so, and, and the government regulates who can say there's a guaranteed rate of return. Usually it's only insurance project products um, or sometimes some real estate REITs kind of things. There's some things legally, but that you can market a rate of return for an investment. But typically, 
um, in the United States, you can't legally offer a rate of return because there's no way to predict that. Right. 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 Um, and so what's happening is people and anytime someone promises a ridiculous rate of return in exchange for you giving control of your coins over to them, that's a real red flag. But many people love the like, oh, I'm going to get this ridiculous APR, you know, annual percentage rate. Um, and then yeah. lost. and what was and, and what was happening with Celsius? This again, this was not a decentralized thing. This was not a blockchain failure. They were a scam, and they gambled by people's money in really high risk investments, and they lost. And so, and when the price of those crypto things went down, um, what ends up happening is um, with Celsius that they were loaning people out, and this is what happened. So with crypto loans, you would typically loan maybe twice the amount of money in crypto. So say you want to borrow $10,000, you give them $20,000 of Bitcoin or $20,000 of Ethereum. They give you $10,000 in another crypto or fiat. But then if the value of those other coins goes down, you know, and when the market just goes down and sure. these things are volatile, they do go up and down, they got liquidated which means that the collateral is just canceled. You they can and they control it. So if you loan them put 40 grand or 20 grand of bitcoin on, it got liquidated and you only got 10,000 out, you lost your collateral. And so this is what happened and there was a cascade between about 3 to 4 big players that were all I would I think it's fraud probably it's and sure. they were all doing these weird over collateralized loans between you know one another and it was just like a house of cards when one went down and it was all precipitated by the value of bitcoin going down and these liquidations now of all these people losing their their losing their tails but those and the but there was plenty of red flags around that and most of the hardcore people in the crypto industry were saying, hey, that looks a little fishy and they're prom- they're over-promising things um, and it's dangerous. And, well, and you so- know, you know, Rob, I mean, a fool and his money are soon parted. That's an old story. That's not even a crypto story. I mean, it is, it's no. a crypto story in this particular context. <clears throat> but rate of return scams have been around forever. <laughs> they go way back farther than cryptocurrency does. And you're right. I mean, when somebody is saying, hey, you know, you invest in this and I guarantee you a 30% rate of return the first year. I, I mean, yeah. that really is a red flag for a scam. And I don't even, I don't care if you're talking about dollars, you know, um, you know, Deutschmarks or, you know, Euro or uh, anything. If somebody tells you that you should run for the hills because there's no such thing as a 30% guaranteed rate of return. Absolutely not. Because I always and I'm a I'm a simple guy. I always ask, what is this organization doing to generate that rate of return? And and when if people can't answer that question, um, you should always assume high rates of return equal high risk, typically in investment. Yes. And I'm not an investment counselor. I'm not an I'm not a financial planner. I don't give investment advice, but I am an entrepreneur. And when anybody started throwing around, you know, huge, you know, even 7% or 10% on a stock is like in a great market is considered okay, but still high. I mean, but when people talk 20, 30, 40%, you know, returns, you, you automatically should say, what are they doing to generate that? And two, how are they promising that? Um, and so, yeah. And so you got to be very careful. I think the thing that's different about crypto is that these things are decentralized. So they're spread all over the country and they're 24 se- or all over the world and they run and blockchains run 24 seven. So it's not like a bank closes or a stock exchange closes. These things are just always running. 
And so I think because of the decentralized nature and you have players all across the planet, um, there is some more fraud involved with that because people think they can get away with it. And that's not always true, but in some cases it can be. And so I always tell people it's it's not necessarily that like Bitcoin's a scam or Ethereum's a scam. What's happened is you got to be careful who you give access to that um, and then you're going to be OK. So, Rob, again, we're speaking with Rob McNeely, Tusk Network, T-U-S-C dot network um, is um, um, is what we're talking about here. And, Rob, I mean, the the, the question then is, you know, this is a, a, a certainly a. Uh, an investment strategy. Cryptocurrency is an investment strategy, just like any other uh, investment strategy. If you're buying frozen concentrated orange juice, if you're a fan of trading places back in the day, 40 years ago, I should add <laughs> trading I places. That. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, it's the same thing that you're going you're gonna to have to be careful and you're going to have to know what you're doing. Where's a good place? I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about some of the basics here. And I know this is like explaining, you know, physics to a six-year-old. And I appreciate you taking the time, Rob, to, to walk me through the very, very basics of this. But where do people go to educate themselves before they actually jump into this market? And they really should educate themselves first, right? Yeah. So, um, and, and I'm not here to promote any one exchange or anything like that, but if you're no. an American, there are some pretty you know, legitimate exchanges, even though our crypto is not on any of them in the United States yet, because we're not big enough. But um, Coinbase and Gemini both are two of the biggest exchanges in the United States. And they both have a lot of educational materials. And, and for whatever their flaws are as organizations, because, you know, everybody's, there's some, there's pros and cons to every sure. exchange out there, but they're regulated. Um, and they're probably some of the safest crypto exchanges. Um, and I know Coinbase has a very, very big library of uh, information out there that talks all about it, setting up a wallet, things like that. Um, and then that would be like number one, right? If you don't know anything about crypto and maybe you don't even know a lot about investing or how those things kind of work, I would start just go to Coinbase. They have a whole website that just talks about this. Um, and then if you want to get a little more advanced, um, and you start looking at the types of crypto projects you might want to support or be involved with. Um, many of those different crypto projects have their own uh, communities and they have a lot of different forums and things like that. So Telegram and Discord for each individual project um, that'll help walk you through, you know, working with that individual project. Um, and then in general, um, Twitter spaces and clubhouse rooms, if you want a more general um, further education, there's lots of rooms that are all about very nitty gritty NFTs and different crypto rooms. So they so I would say that right now, that's probably uh, for more advanced, just up to date, getting into the space. Um, I definitely think Clubhouse and I think uh, Twitter spaces, there's a lot of great information that are coming there. Um, I spent a lot of time in those um, those two uh, forums as well. Uh, but I think if you start off with Coinbase and then figure out what kind of projects you're interested in, check out their websites. Um, most crypto projects have all their social media stuff listed on their websites. And um, that would probably be the, 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 the general path that I would follow. All right. Well, one last question. I'm again going to pl uh, plug Tusk Network. T-U-S-C dot network is the actual URL. What does Tusk Network do? So we are a cryptocurrency and NFT platform. So we are what they call, uh, we're a base blockchain. We're not a token on someone else's blockchain, but we actually are a full blockchain. 
Um, and we are an American based project. We are uh, decentralized. So there's no corporation around Tusk. Um, Tusk is what has uh, the way we manage decision making is done through voting, a very robust voting mechanism that can't be cheated. You know, the presidential elections should look at blockchain voting, for instance, <laughs> but but that's a different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so and we're focused initially on creating NFTs for marketing for um, marginalized industries. One of the industries that we are working with is the firearms industry in the United States. Um, the lawful firearms industry. Uh, right. We're also um, talking to some players in that space about use having them accept Tusk for payments because the firearms industry has uh, struggles with payments right now from traditional financial systems like banks and credit card processing. Yep. Um, but we're expanding and going to be expanding into other markets as time goes on. But um, uh, a lot of the team and myself included are, you know, big fans of the Second Amendment and more gun folks. So um, we built this project in mind to support the industry. Um, but Tusk will be used for all industries eventually, but you got to start somewhere. So we kind of decided to start with the, uh, the second amendment and the, the, the firearms industry because they're under attack financially from the banks and the credit card processors and PayPal. And you, you just have a whole list of the, all these woke companies. And so, uh, crypto, we can't shut your accounts down. We're cheaper and faster than credit cards to process payments on. Um, there's no chargeback risk, instant settlement. Um, it's superior in many ways to credit card processing. Um, and we're not woke. All right. Well, Tusk net, Tusk.network, T-U-S-C dot network. They love elephants, by the way. It says it right we on their website. Yeah, it says it right on their website. They love elephants. Um, Rob McNeely, thank you so much for doing this today. It's a great primer. We're going to get you back, talk about crypto stuff as it comes up, because now you've whetted the appetite. You've given us a slight taste of education here. And uh, we're going to be just waiting around for the next class to begin. Anytime, Ed, I'd uh, be happy to come out. Great, Rob, thank you so much. Stay tuned for more from the Ed Morrissey Show coming up next. Thank you for watching and listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube to get alerted as soon as new episodes get published. You can support The Ed Morrissey Show and Hot Air's VIP reporting by becoming a VIP member, too. Visit hotairvip.com and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA, all one word, for 40% off your membership. Choose VIP Gold and gain membership to access to all of the town hall sites. Thanks again for watching and listening.